I come from a small coal mining village in County Durham. Like I wasn't born into flying first class and business class. But the whole point of this is it's accessible to everyone if you play the game right. This is the Travel and Van Life podcast from Jits into the Sunset. We're Tanya and Adam, and this is the podcast where we talk all things travel, adventure, and road trips. Through our experience and with conversations with others who, like us, have chosen an alternative lifestyle. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Travel, Adventure, and Road Trips podcast. I'm Adam. And I'm Tanya. And together we are Jits Into the Sunset, filmmakers on the road, podcasters on the road, and currently not on the road, well we're on the road, but not on the road in our camper van <laughs> as we started. We are, we're still on Gilly Island as we were last week when we recorded the last podcast, and yeah, we've got a great episode. Yeah, and do you know what, I was just thinking before we hit record, I was thinking, my God, I can't believe it. The podcast is still going yeah. week after week. I don't know how we're doing it. We're, you know, this will be an, a, a conversation for a different episode, guys. But we are squeezing in work whilst living out of a backpack, hopping from mm. boat to island and <laughs> all of this stuff. And sometimes it's tough, uh, but we're here and I think the reason it's tough because it doesn't because you know we're still traveling and doing amazing fun things mm. but the reason it's tough is sometimes it feels like we're not always making the most of the place we're in because we have to work there but that then we have to remind ourselves that is what we've chosen to do and we're mm. not just traveling because we're on a holiday we're traveling because we're trying to make traveling our work so that is just the very nature of what it is when you're traveling and working you're not just on a jolly the whole time mm-hmm. so all of this to say that I'm very proud of us and I'm very proud that we're here, another episode, another Sunday, and we have you guys to thank for tuning in. Say, yeah, I was going to say exactly that. Thank you so, so much for tuning in week after week, keeping us going, keeping this podcast alive and keeping us connecting with all these incredible people that we otherwise probably wouldn't connect with and that's why we love this podcast and actually that brings me to the reason why we had dan this week's guest on the show is thanks to angela who is a podcast listener of ours she's also a longtime youtube subscriber of ours who made the connection and we'll talk about that when we kick off the conversation but just shout out to Angela and again just as a reminder if you know anybody that has a brilliant story to tell that would make a great guest on the podcast you guys have been here you know what the podcast guests are like and if you think they would be a perfect fit please do email us at Hello at jitsintothesunset.com. Yeah, that would be very much appreciated. We can never have too many guests because, well, we're trying to do one every week for as long as we possibly can. <laughs> so there's a lot of guests we need. Um, <laughs> um, so today's conversation with Dan is a really good one. It's slightly different to some of our previous episodes and our previous guests. The conversation's kind of split up into two main themes and main topics. The first of which is how Dan has become a kind of a luxury traveller, but on a budget in a way. He is very smart in the way he leverages points on cards and debt through credit cards to be able to afford incredible 
business class and first class flights so well worth checking out he's got a lot of tips on that and it's just really fascinating to listen to and the second part of the conversation we focus a lot on mental health because Dan is a very big advocate for taking care of your mental health he works with a charity he speaks about his own story and his own journey with mental health with anxiety and yeah he's just very open about it and it's really interesting and he shares a lot of wisdom as well on how to deal with anxiety and any kind of mental health thing so yeah definitely worth sticking around to check out dan's wisdom in this conversation and you know what it's it's really interesting i mean for anyone that's interested in the behind the scenes of the production of the podcast we sit down we have a chat adam you know sits down edits the podcast i listen back and you know make notes and then we record these intros Listening back to the conversation, you will be able to tell that I was absolutely buzzing because it was in person. We just got on with Dan straight away. So I just, yeah, you could really, really feel the energy in the room. Absolutely mm. love Dan. I think he's brilliant. And yeah, I think you guys will will warm to him as well. Yeah, it's always great when we manage to do a conversation in person. And obviously that's very difficult on the road. And we still really love the conversations we have remotely but yeah it's just always really nice to meet people in person and you know have a podcast because the podcast by its very nature makes us get into topics of conversation that aren't just surface level topics and that's what this podcast is we want to get into the to the real conversation the conversation that we really enjoy so so without further ado here is the conversation with with dan aka come down with me Dan, welcome to our room. I can't believe you're here. Thanks for having me in this jungle Balinese villa that you have. Well, well, <laughs> Very how, swish. You know, how random is it that you're here? You are leaving in less than an hour to catch your flight back home. You're just at the tail end of your three-month backpacking trip. And we have been united by a mutual friend, Chelsea, episode 14. If you guys haven't listened to it, you have to go back. Chelsea is all about, you know, cheap holiday expert the travel and everything and you guys have been friends for a while have collaborated but you are more on the luck side of value and here we are quick shout out also to our subscriber our podcast listener and our patreon angela who was the person who dm'd us <laughs> and said guys do you know that dan is also in bali you guys should meet you guys should talk on the podcast so and angela got it nail on the hedge it was a good idea thanks angela that was literally two days ago and now here we are Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. so welcome <laughs> welcome on the podcast we have so much to talk to you about and Firstly, I think it's fair to say that we both travel very differently. So Adam and I have lived in a camper van, a rusty, scrappy, falling apart (laughs) camper van for the last three and a half years before we ended up here in Bali with our backpacks. But you also love to travel, but you love planes. You are what I call an aviation nerd. An aviation nerd. Well, I will actually say there is a term in the industry that we do coin ourselves as. Av geeks. <laughs> and that is what you'll see thrown around everywhere. But yeah, it was the actual aviation in itself that got me into traveling. It was the planes first rather than the travel, which I think a lot of people, it's, they travel and then they grow to like planes or grow to hate them. Whereas me, it was the planes 
And I was like, oh yeah, this traveling thing actually is good too. So it was the opposite way around for me. And how did you come to love planes? Because I know that you have a master's degree in, what is it? Aviation. Air transport management. Oh, that's sexy. <laughs> yeah, right? It sounds, people are like, what does that mean? And so I explain it like, it's like doing an MBA, but focused just on airports and airlines. So how an airline runs, how an airport runs, all the safety, all the environment issues, branding, management, all that kind of thing, but just specific to the industry rather than globally in business terms. That's so funny. So when you're traveling now and you're flying, you must be thinking about all of the back end and everything that's gone into this flight. It's kind of like as a filmmaker now, when I'm watching a film, I'm analyzing every shot. You must be like that when you're flying. That must be so strange. There are so many things in terms of like when it comes to service and what's served and like little portions of things or whether they serve like crisps or not. Like you're thinking this, they'll have made this decision on terms of money and actually like they've thought about the money first rather than the customer or this airline clearly puts the customer first rather than the bottom line. And it's kind of like, yeah, you really see it in a different way. You can't unsee those things. That's so funny. So from your experience, what is the best airline to go with overall? Okay, so thankfully on this trip, I've actually experienced two of the best flights I've ever flown in my life. Wow. Whoa. Um, before that... Because obviously being based in the UK, British Airways has always been my go-to because it's the easiest way to get in and out of our little island. Mm -hmm. um, and so I didn't really actually have flown many other airlines, but this trip I've really started to like rack them up. On the way here, I flew um, Qatar Airways first class on the A380. Wow, which, first class. Which was like a breathtaking flight in terms of like the food, the drinks, the service. It was literally like, what the hell is my life? And that was the first, like that was me heading to Australia. So I was like, wow. And then I went to a New Year's Eve party on a yacht on Sydney Harbour. So it kind of, <laughs> my trip peaked before it even started basically. <laughs> and then flying back from Australia to here, I went the long way around. Instead of flying on a, a little 737, Tanya, do you know what that is? I don't know. I just know Boeing 123. <laughs> <laughs> Boeing 737s is like your classic like Ryanair. It's basically the same planes that Ryanair uses. Mm -hmm. You can fly that from Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, everywhere to Bali, direct, Denpasar, in about five and a half hours. No life flat seats. It'll cost you probably, I don't know, 300 quid return. I used points, flew Singapore Airlines first class suites from Sydney to Singapore, then got on a first class flight from Singapore to Jakarta, stayed overnight in a shady Jakarta airport hotel and then got Garuda Indonesia to Denpasar the next day. So what could have taken me five hours took me a full day, but the experience that I had, I loved every second. And the Singapore suites, so I got a whole private room to myself, closed doors, a separate bed to my seat. Like the service was just like, it blew my mind. But the food actually, comparatively to Qatar, was rubbish. So but they were my best two flights of my, of my whole life. I have to be honest, it's like you're speaking a different language because... People tell me that a lot. Yeah, I, I mean, I understand that from your perspective, you get really excited about different flights and planes and the logistics and all of it because, I mean, the back end of running an airport, the safety, mm. just the training of the pilots, all of it, I completely appreciate. To be honest, flying first class, it's just not something that would have ever really appealed to me. 
maybe it's because it's not something I've ever considered because it feels so inaccessible. Right. And I think that that's the point of this, you know, I, the, and the value of this conversation is that there are going to be a lot of listeners who will also see Flying First Class or whatever the upgrade from, like, scrappy, Business. yeah, <laughs> scrappy economy, like the one level up economy Premium, plus. premium economy. Yeah. Premium economy. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but they're going to be thinking, like, maybe that's not uh, their priority, but it would be really nice if they could. And I think that's where you come in because you're talking about points here, right? Yeah. And I have to admit, Adam and I, we don't have credit cards. We, <gasps> I know, it I makes know. Makes me cry when people say that to me. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, because we were both brought up and, and just, I, I guess both our, our moms have said to us, don't spend money that you don't have. Mm, yeah. And it always just came from a fear of getting, getting into your th- debt. Exactly. And I know that if you're really responsible, they can work for you. And that's where you come in with those tips, tricks, advice, yeah. so that those listening who maybe want to treat themselves for a special occasion can upgrade themselves and get a looks experience yeah. compliments of dad exactly that is exactly right and you've hit the nail on the head there so you say that so for example let me just say i didn't pay cash for either of those flights that i just said were the best two flights of my life i used all of my points that i've pretty much had in all of my accounts to so that the, the flight from doha to sydney would have cost about eight thousand dollars nine thousand dollars and i paid a hundred pounds and points Whoa. my flight with singapore airlines from sydney to singapore probably would have been again around ten thousand dollars and i paid 30 quid and oh. some points so this is what i'm saying like my life looks like i only ever fly business class and whatever but the the way that I do it is I'm clever with how I do it. Today I'm flying business class, but I'm paying cash. So it only cost me 500 pounds to tie, that sounds 500 pounds, but to Taipei via Hong Kong with Cathay Pacific and business class. But I get points for that. I get tier points for that. So I climb through the status. So all of the value of all of the stuff that I get within that 500 pounds for me far outweighs a cheap tuned and 30 via Manila with Philippines mm. Airlines. Paying the double actually for me works in this sense for my greater goal. So starting with the points and miles, yeah, I come from a small coal mining village in County Durham. Like I wasn't born into flying first class and business class. And I think going into this with a mindset of, okay, first class is not achievable for me. It's an aspiration. That's a great way of starting because I don't fly like this all the time. But if you can work, if if you can set up a program in terms of like points earning, how you spend, really set your mind to it and have a goal. In two years time, I want to take the wife to the Maldives in business class and stay in a five-star hotel with Overwater Villa. You can figure that out in terms of how much you need to earn, how much you need to spend, all the points you need to earn. And you can do that. You might just do it once in your life. But the whole point of this is it's accessible to everyone if you play the game right. Mm. And that's the message that I try and get across and show people the tricks and ways of being able to do that, that are real, not just these really fantasy videos and images of this is amazing and it's basically free and this, that, and the other. Well, it's not because you have to do all of this stuff to get there. I didn't just wake up one day and be like, oh, I'll just throw some points over there and I'll fly first class. No, there's a lot of time and effort that goes into it. And I only got into the game about four years ago. Um, and this, these two redemptions with Qatar and Singapore Airlines, when I say redemption, that means using the points instead of cash just for those who might not understand the terminology, um, they were two of the biggest redemptions I've ever made. And I've been in the game four years. Mm. So I don't just fly around the world in first class and business class all the time. It's There's a lot of work and time and effort that goes into it. But the reward that I feel when I do that, it's worth all of that investment in terms of finances and earning the points and planning and everything like that. 
And also we've all been there when we've been on a flight with a person who likes to shove their elbow way too close to your side. Um, maybe it's not the most considerate neighbor next to you. And, or, or, you, or you're on a, on a red eye flight and you can't catch good night's sleep. I can imagine how amazing it must feel to get off the plane and feeling more refreshed and more <laughs> excited than when you boarded. <laughs> That's a very, very good point. Um, I actually now actively avoid red-eye flights if I can, even in business class. Because, for example, one of the worst is from New York to London or East Coast USA to the UK. You take off at whatever time, 6, 7, 8, 9 p.m. and you arrive that exact same time with the a.m. the next day. But it's like a five and a half, six hour flight. So by the time you get on, you sit down and get comfortable, you've got two, maybe three hours sleep max, whether you're in business economy or whatever, you're getting woken up to land and then you land in the morning and are expected to do a full day. So even in business class, I would never pay cash for a business class or use points for a business class overnight from New York to the UK. There's a few airlines that do like one day flight where you take off in the morning and you land the evening the same day. And I would always actively do that if I can because... The lack of sleep that you get even in business for me it's just not worth my points or my cash it also sounds like it would be a bit of a waste of the experience of being in business class like exactly especially don't get a business class flight where you sleep you're right? gonna sleep the whole yeah. time what's the, point? <laughs> what's the point on that topic i actively booked like most flights from southeast asia head back to europe and the uk overnight 10 11 midnight departures and you spend the 12 to 14 hours completely overnight chasing the night time and you mm -hmm. land in the early hours of the morning. This one Cathay flight that I'm flying departs at 7.45 a.m., flies 14 hours and lands 3 p.m. in the UK. So I get to be awake and enjoy 14 hours of Cathay Pacific business class. Another tip is to make sure if you're gonna use a redemption, do it on a flight where you can enjoy the whole thing and not sleep. Exactly, yeah, that makes total sense. For the value, so yeah. much more value. Yeah, of course, otherwise you're So much more champagne. A... Yeah. <laughs> 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 otherwise you're just paying for a fancy place to sleep that you literally yeah, what's yeah. the point you what's should stay point? in town another night in a hotel and fly economy the next day like what's the point yeah yeah <laughs> so before we move on i just basically want to understand how it works on a very basic level because obviously intuitively i think most people would when they're looking for flights they'll go on skyscanner or wherever they go yeah. and look for the cheapest flight yeah. that they can possibly get very chelsea you, yeah very chelsea <laughs> you of course do not do that but is is there other ways for people who aren't flying all the time? Is there other ways of building points? So is it literally, do you use a credit card, spend on a credit card, pay back, and that will give you points that you can then use for a flight? Great question. You said the thing that everyone thinks straight away there, that actually you earn loads of points by flying. That's not the case. Mm -hmm. I That's the, the way that I earn like the least of my points. The big chunk of points come from when you sign up to the game and when you get started because of sign-up bonuses. So a lot of credit cards like American Express Platinum, British Airways, um, like um, credit cards with Amex as well, you hit um, a three or four or five or six month spending target, which depends on the time you sign up. And once you hit that spending target, an example would be like, spend three grand in three months and you'll get 100K points for signing up. That 100K, for example, is enough to book both of those flights, one that I'm taking to Singapore, uh, sorry, one that I'm taking from Hong Kong to London, and then the one I took with the, from Qatar to Sydney. That's enough for that one flight in one go. And so the rest of the points come from 
um, referrals. So you get a certain amount of points when someone uses your link to get a credit card themselves. That's another way of getting a great chunk of points. And then other things are like spending. So for every pound you spend, you get a point on your Amex. For every pound you spend on your British Airways card, you get three points if you spend it on British Airways. Mm. And then there's a British Airways e-store. So like all of your favorite shops, like ASOS, um, John Lewis, um, flower stalls, you name it. There's like thousands of stalls on there. Before you do any, even Apple. So before you do any of your online shopping, I always go to the BAE store, which can reward me up to 25 sometimes avios per pound spent. So at my phone, for example, um, cost whatever, whatever they cost. I got like 9,000 avios just for buying my phone. The same way that I would online, log into the portal, takes me to the Apple website, bought it. That 9,000 avios is enough for me to get a return flight to Europe from London. So it's just, it's changing your way of thinking about your spending and you don't have to get yourself into debt by doing it as long as you pay it off every single month. That's the most important thing. But if you can't trust yourself to do that, then it's probably not the right game for you. But yeah. Yeah, because you, you talk a lot about, you know, personal finance and this being one of them. It's just making sure that you're making responsible decisions, that you're setting the time is in your calendar, what, whatever have you to ensure that you are paying back the money on time so that you don't get caught out. The golden rule is to not pay any more than you should be for these points and these miles. When you start paying for them, in addition to how you're getting them in the first place, then you're wasting your time, you're losing value rapidly by doing that. Do you mean paying for them in the sense that... Buying a phone specifically to get the points. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't just go out there and put 10k on your credit card because you want to get hit a spending limit to get your 100,000 points or whatever. Like, you need to calculate your finances and know how much you spend every month before you do that. Mm. It's interesting because I feel like personal finance was my big project over COVID. That was my lockdown project. Um, But I approached it in a bit, like I didn't quite get into the stage of how to leverage debt. But it sounds like that's kind of what, that is effectively exactly what you're talking about. Whereas I literally am just about how to save effectively and not spend too much. So yeah, it's funny. It's good. So loads of people, despite the fact that you have told us everything you just said, will think you're off on a jolly. Who is this Dan who's off traveling the world? You're so lucky. You're so lucky. (laughs) How are you making money? I get paid for the articles that I write by different websites. And I also get paid by different brands for collaborations through Instagram, whether that's through stories, feed posts, reels, depending on the product and the brand I can earn. A decent amount of money. I'm sure you guys are aware of, of how Instagram works in that sense. We're in the same world, but yeah, it's it's getting a balance of the two. But my, I, I afford to live like this way by writing a certain amount of articles every week and I budget for how I want to travel and how I want to live my life. And I give myself a target of how much I need to write that week or that month to be able to do the things I want to do. Yeah, because you said to us earlier that you could fly your first class and you sip your champagne. But as soon as you hit the ground, you don't mind doing, you know, getting the metro and saving money elsewhere. Yeah, um, it's again, that comes through with with the value, really. Like if I'm traveling to a new country, why would I want to spend 60 quid on an Uber when I can get probably quicker on the metro for 30p or three pound or whatever it might be but also one of the the big reasons why i use public transport over cars is because during my studies of my masters i I realized that actually for airports one of their biggest environmental damaging factors is trap people coming to and from the airport 
Because if you depart and arrive at the same airport, that's four car journeys. One to whoever's dropping you off, one to leave. Then come and pick you up for whoever drives to the airport to pick you up and then takes you away. That's four car journeys soon from the airport. And if that's every single passenger every year, that's a lot of carbon emissions. Mm -hmm. So airports are a lot now trying to cut down on that by incentivizing people to get public transport. And so obviously I fly a lot and I do other things to try and offset my carbon. I don't eat red meat. I don't own a car. Like there's so many things that I do that people aren't aware that I do. But that is one of the most important things for me is if I can use public transport rather than cars, that's been quite impossible in Bali, I will say. I've let myself down there. Um, but yeah, take the metro over an Uber any day. You reminded me because earlier in the conversation you were talking about when you studied for your master's, you know, the environmental impacts, because I think that is going to be, you know, it, it's a, it's it's something that people are going to be thinking about. And also, I mean, we should all be talking about the environmental impact of everything that we do, just at least be educated. Yeah. I don't know now, if I'm if I'm honest, I don't know how we, now that we're going to be backpacking and traveling in this way, what would be an effective way to offset carbon emissions? Like, do you have a recommendation for like a website or anything like yeah. that where you calculate them? And I'm actually in the process of doing research. I found a website. Um, I can't remember the name, but it seems like one of the best um, in the UK and they calculate how much you, you, you put in all your travel and whatever and like how much carbon you emit every year and then you can pay a certain amount to offset however much that is maybe for the year or your life and whatever else and so actually I'm hopefully going to be speaking to them about trying to like help them promote that because I feel like it's part of my duty traveling in the way that we do to to help to sh shed a light on on just the damage that that is happening to our planet right now in terms of the environment and the hardest thing is is as, as sort of like the the spokesperson for that sometimes or just highlighting those things to people that then gets turned around and it's like, well, what are you doing? What are you doing? And it, and it comes back onto me a lot of the times of, well, you fly all the time. Like it's a bit of, it's a bit of hypocrisy, you know, if you're like talking about the environment and I'm like, actually, no, it's the opposite. I'm doing this because I am aware and I think about this constantly and I want to help to show people ways that, you know, they can be more environmentally friendly too, if they're going to live like this, you know? It's so funny, isn't it? That by bringing up a topic about trying to do better, you will then get attacked for not being perfect. Yeah, like it's such a shame. It. And that's what will put people off talking about this kind of thing because I think someone, I can't remember where I heard it, but one of the most ridiculous things is that someone was flying to give a talk at a conference about the environment yeah. and how to be more environmentally friendly. And people just laid into it. It went viral. It's like, you shouldn't be flying to a conference. It's like, what about all the people that are just flying to Ibiza for a holiday? No one's, they're not getting in trouble. Yeah. But um, as soon as they bring attention to it, like, like traveling around Labuan Bajo with all the plastic, like there were tons of pieces of plastic on that beach and some people were like um so how many bags did you fill and i'm like none i didn't fill any bags of plastic up but like that that's not what we were there to do and that's not what was available i couldn't have done that there if i tried you know like i'm highlighting this because it's a wider problem that we we need to all be attention like bring our attention to We just want to quickly interrupt to say that if you're enjoying this podcast or find it valuable, then you can help support it by leaving us a rating or a review, or alternatively, by becoming a Patreon. At the moment, this podcast is not sponsored or supported by advertisements, so it is through the monthly support of our wonderful Patreons that we can continue. You can join our Patreon community at patreon.com forward slash jits into the sunset also linked in our show notes, and choose to pledge any amount from as little as one pound, euro or dollar a month. Every little helps. 
As well as supporting the podcast, you'll be given access to exclusive content such as behind the scenes, our latest updates and deleted scenes from our travel films. So one of the things that you speak about a lot is mental health. And I know that you have suffered and you still suffer with anxiety a lot and you work a lot with a charity. Uh, I'm wondering if you could speak a bit about that. Yeah, so the charity I help out with um, is called Human, H-U-M-E-N. And it's a mental health charity set up for men specifically who feel that in their day-to-day life with their family, with their friends, with their colleagues, with their loved ones that... They're unable to open up and speak about things that are that, that are on their mind in a way that we sort of create um, a, a non-pub alcohol-free pub space on a Monday evening for men to come and chat the shit. Yeah. Sorry, can I swear? I think, yeah. yeah is that we fine? haven't quite worked out the swearing rules on this podcast. But... <laughs> we'll bleep it. <laughs> um, and because we, like, the, charity, the charity was created because the founder himself was in a really bad state. And the idea behind the charity is to prevent suicide rather than getting to the point where that has to happen. Mm -hmm. Because males, the biggest killer for males, the fact I'm not 100%, I think it's less than 40 or 45, the biggest killer of men in that category in the UK is suicide. Because the problem is, is that we as men don't feel in society like that we can, I'm actually getting goosebumps talking about this, feel that we're able to talk about things. We have to just bottle it up, man up. We get told that since we're kids, you know, like boys don't cry, all that kind of stuff. And that mentally messes us up as we grow into the adult life. And so people, especially men who have issues, they bottle them up and rather than being able to talk about it and offload and feel better, they get to a point where they can't cope anymore and then their only solution is to commit suicide. And so talking therapy in a way that isn't prescribed, there's no medication involved, there's no therapist, it's not a doctor, it's just a group of men from around the world who don't know each other offloading the shit that's going on in their head. And there's something, it's, it, it works in two ways in terms of being amazing therapy because the power of just listening to someone, listening to their problems, listening to what's going on in their life brings you into a central point in your life where you're like, wow, like perspective, my ultimate bad day is nothing in comparison to this person's ultimate bad day. And not even that, it's not just about that, it's just really broadening your horizons on the spectrum of feeling in a bad way. And the other powerful element of it is, it's completely one-sided conversation. So we all sit there and listen. When anyone speaks with whatever problem it is, whether it's my my cat just died, whether it's I got fired at work today, whether it's I tried to commit suicide yesterday, no matter how grave the situation, none of us give a response, whether it's, visually on screen, words, writing on a chat, nothing. We have to listen, accept, take it in, and it moves on to the next person. And that means that that person's able to be, have their, their issues like validated in a way that they, it's not changed by a certain response or you know they just say it, it's done, and we move on. And that gives them space to, to get it out and us space to take it in. And it works both ways like that. It's, it's quite magical, actually. Yeah, that sounds really beautiful. It's kind of like you're... Oh, it's doing a lot of things. It sounds like it's doing a lot of things. It's teaching people like the skill of talking and communicating about their feelings. Yeah. It's also destigmatizing that because I think there's a lot of stigma around talking about, like you said, like man up. Yeah. Like all of that is just so toxic. And I yeah. think people who do still feel like that, that's kind of where a lot of, I think, toxic masculinity kind of comes from yeah. is the feeling that you have to be a, certain a man. Yeah. And the, the, the very narrow definition of what it is to be a man. Yeah. And it's also really interesting i think going back to your when you were speaking about 
how many men commit suicide. I remember hearing a statistic, it's quite an old statistic now, but I imagine it's still very relevant. I think 70% of people in therapy are women and 70% of people that commit suicide are men. That speaks volumes, doesn't it? It's... I've never heard that stat, but I believe it. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Because yeah. it's... women are notoriously, not notoriously, but like more known for their ability to chat with the gals over a glass of wine. You know, my husband's doing this, our work's doing this. Whereas lads down the pub, it's like, oh yeah, the football. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. And those two like dynamics of conversation are completely different in the gender norm situations, you know? So how did you end up getting involved in human? How did you find them? I found it in my hour of need. Um, it was back in 2020, that dreadful year. I just got goosebumps saying that, you know, when <laughs> we all thought that our lives were going to change irreversibly. And I actually, at the time, as the pandemic was rumbling away, was being treated with um, cognitive behavioral therapy known as CBT for a diagnosed health anxiety. So throughout my life, I've suffered with general anxiety and that can spike off into like a health worry or something else or a depression you know like general anxiety often spins out into other things when it's been triggered and you know you can become focused on a certain part of the anxiety and so I've always had on and off paranoia about getting sick about dying that's always been an underlying anxiety of mine and then at the end of 2018 actually I um, had severe pain in my groin and um, went to hospital several times. Um, the first ultrasound, um, a junior doctor sort of went, <gasps> there's a lump there. And sort of like, I will never forget that terribly delivered piece of news. That's no disrespect to the NHS or whatever. It was just a moment where, you know, that was something that should have been done in a different way. And he went and got his superior to come over to me and was like, yeah, there's a mass there. Um, we're gonna have to like look into this more. And so that moment will stick with me forever. And then they told me I had to come back for another ultrasound. Went for another ultrasound. Oh, we're not quite sure whether this is cancer or not. And then they said, come back in a couple of weeks. So this is now a month where I might have testicular cancer, I might not. And so I go to the third time. This is around just before Christmas 2018. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, you know, like, it's really interesting. Like, normally cancer has blood veins running through it, but there's no blood coming to yours. And we're not quite sure. So it might be cancer, but we're not sure. And I burst into tears and I said... Sorry, I, I can't. I can't be told to come back for a fourth ultrasound now. This is how can we know whether this is cancer or not? Like I can't live in this stage stage of not knowing. And he was like, "Well, the only way we can do it is an invasive process, like a biopsy." And I went, "Let's do it." So he booked me in for a biopsy. It was like the seventh of Jan. Went in. They made an incision in like just below my belly button, sort of like top of my groin. Um, removed the testicle outside of my body. Took a chunk out of it for the biopsy. Popped it back in. Stitched me up. And I had to wait two months for the result oh. and I walked past the surgeon in the corridor as I was going to see the specialist to find out my result and he tapped me on the shoulder and said oh I remember operating on you and you straight away it wasn't cancer and I had to still had to wait two months just for a phone call or an appointment to tell me that it was I got the all clear and my friend who I've actually been traveling with now she came with me and held my hand during the whole thing because she's, she's oh. a doctor as well and I wanted someone there who like you know could translate for me almost if I kind of yeah. blanked out whatever got the all clear um, it was some weird blood clot, which don't even know how it happened. Yeah. But the pain persisted even after the surgery for about a year. And I kept going back, more ultrasounds, more tests, paid for a private urologist. And every time it's not cancer, but we don't know what it is. And so all this time I'm like, I've had the biopsy, I've had the surgery, still this is pain, I don't know what it is. And finally got a referral to an NHS urologist. This is a um, 
almost a full year after the surgery and they told me, oh, it's, it's something called a varicocele, which is like a, um, a varicose vein, but in the testicle and that's what's still causing the pain. From that day, the pain stopped. So part of it was in my head because I didn't know what it was. And after that, it completely stopped. But then that sort of then transpired into me worrying about every single bump on my arm, a lump on my tongue, everything. I was like, oh my God, I might have cancer. And every symptom I ever had, whether it was a headache, a, a mole that I thought had changed size, I was calling the doctor and going to a doctor's appointment about it. And I got to the point where I'd done it about 15, 10 to 15 times. And the GP was like, we need to get this fixed, don't we? And I was like, yeah. He was like, I'm referring you for cognitive behavioral therapy for health anxiety. This was the end of 2019. Then 2020 started. Aww. Then the pandemic hit. And it affected everyone in, in catastrophic ways. I know this. And, but the way that it hit me, given that I was already suffering with health anxiety, like I, I'm a, I, I recorded actually videos of, of how I lived my life back then, like going to the supermarket and the fear in my face and looking back, it actually scares me. Mm. And I wrote a diary actually, a daily basis, like almost like 15,000 words that I haven't even been able to read yet because I know that it's gonna really like affect me. Like it's gonna be like, who is this person? And so I got to that breaking point and I was like, I need some kind of more help than this. And I remember I got introduced by human through a friend and I reached out to them, joined the call, didn't speak at all during the first session on this Monday night. And when it finished, there's a gratitude section. So everyone has a chance to go around and just say one thing today that they're grateful for. And I just remember like this overwhelming sense of emotion and just like poured out of me and I just burst into tears and I was like this has helped me no end and since then I joined every single week during the pandemic and then when um shifted between different people being the spaceman which is the guy who sort of facilitates the call I got asked if I'd like to be that person and I've done that ever since the end of 2020 I think that's so incredibly rewarding going full circle that you have gotten that help and just just through listening just through sharing and to feeling like you're surrounded with other people that are going through similar things in their head even though their circumstances are vastly different and I think what this does um obviously for people that want to get involved with this charity mm -hmm. we'll leave the link in the show notes thank you yeah but also just to remind everyone the importance of asking how people are doing and how the men in your life are doing as yeah. well, specifically, g given what we've, the, you know, the stats around uh, mental health and, and, and men. But also, I guess, as men to remember that it's okay to not be okay. Yeah, that's, that's a huge, important message. And they say a lot of the time, um, ask twice. So message someone, hey, how are you doing? And they'll be like, yeah, fine, how are you? And you go, actually, no, really, how are you doing? And that should hopefully spur that one person on to actually be like, thanks for asking, I'm feeling a bit crap, or it might not. And the other part, just to flip that round with, with human, I, I encourage people who feel well mentally, who don't have any anxiety currently, who aren't on antidepressants, who are just feeling good with their lives to come and join and chat and just give their opinion on things and, and, and give their tuppence because that also helps everyone in, in the group get like a positive perspective. So people who come in there at their worst, I encourage them to come back when they're actually at their best so that people in that group can see that this is Jack. He he was really struggling at a low point and now look at him, he's thriving. That can happen to me too. That's amazing, yeah. And so I really encourage when you're feeling good, it's equally as important to be open to talk and discuss mental health because you don't know who else you could be helping. And it's also good to act as prevention rather than cure. That's the exact point, yeah. Why do you think that because you, you said before we started recording, you said that people are suffering from anxiety more now 
than they used to be. Do you think it's something that that we're aware of now because people are speaking about it more, so it's coming more to the forefront? Or do you think it's something that is happening more now because of society? Or do you think it's I think both? it's a culmination of a few things, to be honest. I think now we're in a society where we are because thanks to charities like human and other many amazing things that are going on in the world of mental health we're now in a position where like we're allowed to talk about it especially our generation um i still some people i know in their like 50s 60s they sort of still give it this wishy-washy you know they do the inverted comma like speech marks when they talk about mental health and the younger generations being too woke and when i was a lad i didn't do this blah 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 but I think the gener- our generation and even the generation below us now, like talking about mental health and like being present with that is something that is really important in our daily lives more and more so, which I think is great, which is why there's more awareness and why we see it more. But also I think that the, the, the society and the environment that we live in now, especially with our um, content intake, with news, with the way we're so connected all the time, um, I think that has a lot to do with creating background anxiety that we're not even aware is building up to the point that actually when we become conscious of it we need we need to be treated for it because we didn't realize that it was there we need to remember anxiety is a completely natural emotion to feel it's when that you are unable to control the symptoms of that or snap out of that or deal with it to like make it make it better that's when i would say you are sort of like you know you, you have an anxiety issue and i think I try to explain it to people that my anxiety immune system, my mental health immune system is pretty crap. It can take not much for me to be spiraling off and sort of like slip into one of my like black dog days as they're often known, you know, like where I can't get, I I can't get out of bed, but I can't focus. I just can't find any joy in things. And there are the times where I really have to hone in on my healthy eating, my gym and put all those steps in place for me to make sure that I'm doing the right things. But I feel like some people's mental health immune system is a lot stronger than mine. Whereas they'd be faced with something that would naturally cause anxiety and they can just crack on and deal with it and move on with their day. And flip that around to sort of like a regular health immune system, like getting a cold. I never get a cold. My immune system is excellent. Whereas someone who with a great uh, mental health immune system might get a cold every two months because their regular immune system. It, I try and explain it in that sense. It's like getting a cold is natural. Suffering with anxiety is natural. Whether you get shot down with it or not, depends on how good your body is or your mind is at dealing with that particular emotion. I love that you mentioned some of the things that you do to help get you out of that anxiety mindset. So you said eating better, going to the gym. What other things do you do for yourself that you would recommend others also implement in their lives if they're feeling like anxiety is is, is taking over them? Yeah, it's a really good question. And it's something that I have to be even more cognizant of when I'm traveling the way that I do, especially in countries like Indonesia, where um, it's so different to how we live at home, our routine, society, you know, you don't just pop to Tesco. It's it's just a very, everything here is a little bit more difficult than it is at home. So when I'm traveling on the road like this, the the key things I try and get enough of are sleep, enough sleep, eight hours a night. Um, I massively, massively these days reduce my alcohol intake because the anxiety, mental health hangover I can have from having maybe four or five drinks and even going to bed at 1am can last me two or three days. And now it's about balancing up whether I actually, whether that was worth it or not for me. Um, And keeping healthy, eating well, drinking lots of water, um, taking time away from screens. I might look like I'm always on Instagram because of my job, but actually I'm only ever scrolling through Instagram in a time where I'm actually working or whether I'm, I've, I've dedicated some time to it. I don't just sit and flick through my phone and constantly feed my brain with other people's lives. 
and I try and read as much as I can as well. Um, that I find that really helps me to to detach. <laughs> like kind of settles your mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That's just such solid advice. Just the foundation is just looking yeah. after yourself, and then the rest. The rest will, comes. Yeah. Follow. Yeah. A lot of what you put into your body and how you treat your body is linked to your mind, and we forget how inextricably linked they are, and that's why I think like people assume that when you travel like we do that you're just living your best lives or whatever else and that kind of like you treat it like a holiday you know like the the, the British mentality of being at the pub at 5am and you're absolutely wasted before you even got on the plane and a holiday and traveling is all about getting drunk all the time and having a great time but that's actually not what it's like here I take my life that I lead in the UK and I just transplant that into the different country that I'm in within reason you know I still live my work week. I still go to the gym. I still eat as healthy as possible. Obviously, there are things that I do when I'm traveling that I wouldn't do when I'm at home. But for me to be able to do this financially, mentally, physically, I can't just treat it like a holiday. This is my job. It's also the life that like I'm so grateful that I was able to choose for myself and I don't want to do anything to jeopardize that. So keeping myself mentally, financially and healthily like on a level, it's crucial to me to be able to carry on living this way. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you would say to people who would look from the outside and see that you're off, you know, flying business class, you're in these infinity pools, you're staying at these incredible hotels quite a lot of the time for your job doing reviews, but yet you can still suffer from anxiety. I was going to ask you, like, what would you say to those people? But I think you've kind of already said it. Yeah. It's the fact that it is, um, you know, it's your, it's your immune system. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah where you are, what you're doing, that is just something you, and, and also you said you're taking your life with you. So it's not like you're leaving all your problems behind. I'm not escaping, and you're going, I'm not running away from anything. I'm continuing my life, but just in a different country, in a different part of the world. And a good example of that is I was just staying in the most incredible, beautiful, upscale resort in Ubud for the last few days. And because um, of lots of work and whatever else, got lots of things going on. The last couple of days, I was completely out of it in terms of like mentally, I was having like black dog days and I couldn't focus. I was very triggered by things. I just couldn't find joy in what I was doing. And that was completely out of my control. I was in the most paradisical resort with Infinity Pool and the presidential suite. And thinking about it and being there was incredible. And I know that. But part of me while I was there, I couldn't fully enjoy it to my 100% because there was something going on anxiety-wise that I, I wasn't in control of that day. And so I did actually post an Infinity Pool picture there. And I'm going to repost it today on my story just being like, Again, look, guys, this might look like I'm living my best life. But actually, at the time, I wasn't feeling so great in my mind. And this is what Instagram doesn't show you all the time. And this is what I do try and weave into my stories and my posts. Keep the level of realness. Show there's mental health. Show that everything isn't perfect. Because I think a lot of people look at Instagram and this travel life as a way that they wish they could leave their lives behind and escape to. Like, I wish I had your life or whatever else. It's not like a perfect, like, immaculate world out there. And it also just wasn't given to us on a plate. I think you can forget that like life continues as you travel, but also people have to work to get there. And that makes it us all the more grateful to be here when we finally actually make it, you know? Yeah. I also think when people think of mental health and the big, broad word of mental Huge health, people, umbrella. people quite often will think of like the extremities, like you were talking about suicide things like burnout but it doesn't have to be that it can be smaller things like you said not being able to find the joy in things like I've had days and I wouldn't go as far to say depression at mm -hmm. all but I've had days where like I'll have low mood days and I can't find any positivity in yeah. anything and, and that's completely normal too right yeah. a low mood day is fine it's when they become 
more than your non-law mood days. Yeah. And when you have them back to back in a few days, that's when you're like, okay, I need to change something. I need to speak to someone. Like mine were two days in a month there, gone, done. I'm back to normal now, you know? So I know for me that there's nothing I need to like do extra to try and fix it. It was just a bit of a blip, normal, natural. But if that were to sort of like unchain a little bit more and become a week or happening more often, then you'd be like, okay, there's something that needs to change extra in surplus as to what I'm doing. Yeah. So it's about monitoring that and, and having self-reflection, yeah. but also not being too hard on yourself for having those days because exactly. that's so normal. Yeah. yeah. Trying to work out, is this normal anxiety? Is this a normal low mood day that everyone feels? Or is this something that is abnormal? Do I need to try and fix it? Dan, we could speak to you all day long, but your I've got a flight to catch. I know, your driver <laughs> is outside waiting and it's such a shame. But thank you so much for your time so far. We've got a couple of questions. Real Fire quick. away. Right. So you said earlier that you love to read. Yeah. Can you share with us a book recommendation for our listeners? Take it away. Yep. It's um, called L'homme qui voulait être heureux. And it means the man who wanted to be happy. And it's a really sort of cute journey of self-discovery. A little bit self-help, but it's a French author. Um, so, you know, with the French, they tend to be a little bit like more, you know, cutthroat with things. So it's kind of self-help without the fluffiness in a very French way. And it's one of the books that really helped me see things in, in a, in a better way. Yeah. Amazing. Do you know what? Your French accent is amazing. And yeah. do you know what? Do we you speak French? Yeah. Well, oh, I was going to say, we failed to mention oh, yeah. that you love you languages. I certainly go do. Go on, tell us how many languages do you speak? And also I know there's other ones that you can kind of hold a bit of a conversation. Yeah. So I'd say I'm fluent in five. English, French, Spanish, Portuguese, and Geordie, which is the, <laughs> the little known language from the Northeast. I can get by in German, and I'm learning Dutch, Catalan, Japanese, and Greek. That is oh. unbelievable. I struggle with English sometimes. <laughs> Same, to be fair. I don't know why I'm even bothering. Anyone who's interested in following your journey, getting more tips, more advice on the travel aspect, but also the mental health, where do they go to follow they you? They can find me on Come Dan With Me on Instagram, and that is my main channel. I also have Twitter, but that's mainly for reposting my written articles, so it's not really fun on there. But Come, come Dan With Me on Instagram is the best place to find me. Perfect. And last but not least, your secret code emoji for anybody who wants to reach out, who's got this far in the conversation and they want to let you know that they've listened to this conversation and want to reach out to you on Instagram. They're going to send you an emoji and, and you'll know where they came from. That will be the plain emoji. Oh, of course. <laughs> Come on, guys. You obviously knew it was going to be that, right? <laughs> oh, Dan, it's such a pleasure. I can't believe it. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for your having stories, me. Everything and we're excited to meet up with you again somewhere wherever that may be thank you so much and we better let you go get your flight thanks so much bye 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 <laughs> <laughs>